In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. He had three ships and left from Spain. He sailed through sunshine, wind, and rain. It's a saying everyone knows, and for many years was taught as one of the founding ideas about the discovery of the Americas by Europe and the opening up of the New World to the Old. And yet, most of what we might have known about that early voyage is lost with Christopher Columbus's log, the record he kept of his first journey to the New World, which disappeared sometime in 1493. Was it sequestered by the Spanish crown? Hidden by the Vatican? Sold off? Destroyed? Or simply misplaced? Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Richard. Welcome to Gone, the show where we search for everything missing. Every other Monday, we examine mysterious disappearances and the theories they spawned. From the Amber Room to Michael Rockefeller, Picasso paintings to the Etruscan language, the Roanoke Colony to the lost Russian cosmonauts. If it's gone, we're looking for it. If you want to listen to previous episodes, you can find them on your favorite podcast directory or on our website, parcast.com. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review. It seems simple, but it really helps the podcast. Today we will be looking into the lost log of Christopher Columbus, which disappeared after he delivered it to Queen Isabella of Castile, the monarch who had sponsored his journey to the Americas. What the explorer first thought about the lands he'd found and how he was received by the native peoples are still largely mysteries to us, details lost along with that log. In recent years, the legacy of Christopher Columbus has been challenged as historians have tried to put more emphasis on Native Americans and the early expeditions of Vikings. Columbus found the New World by mistake, and his travels only took him to Central and South America, he never stepped foot in North America. Additionally, Columbus was notorious even in his own day for his mistreatment of native peoples. He brought viruses and ailments, took indigenous people as slaves, and used violence to forcibly convert people to Christianity. But whatever his faults, it cannot be denied that Christopher Columbus's journeys went a long way towards revealing the mysteries of the New World to Europeans. For many years, most of what European governments knew about the New World was gleaned from logs, journals, and first-hand accounts of men like Christopher Columbus. Unfortunately for modern historians, Columbus's original log of his travels, as well as the only complete copy of that log, are both gone. We'll be tracing the paths of four documents related to Columbus's original log, all of which are currently unaccounted for. There's the original Diario, written by Columbus in imperfect Spanish. There's the Barcelona copy, one of the only two copies that Queen Isabella of Spain permitted to be made from the original. There's the summary of the Barcelona copy, as written by Columbus's son, Fernando, in his biography, Life of the Admiral, about his father's journeys. And there's the abstract, written by Columbus's friend, Bartolomé de las Casas, notes he took from the Barcelona copy to use for his own manuscript, Historio de las Indias. We'll be exploring all of the possibilities of what happened to each of these documents, including theories that they were stolen, destroyed, misplaced, sold into private collections, 
kept secret by the crown of Spain or hidden by the Pope. There's a lot of overlap between the theories of what happened to each document, so we'll be sure to take you through the whole story of each one before we let you know what we really think happened to Columbus's log. Christopher Columbus was born Cristoforo Colombo sometime in autumn 1451 in Genoa, Italy. Columbus spent most of his teenage and young adult years aboard merchant ships. In 1479, at 28, Columbus married the daughter of a noble Portuguese family. She gave birth to their son Diego in 1480. Columbus learned more about navigating the winds and currents of the Atlantic through several trade trips to West Africa and present-day Ghana. It was around this time that he became obsessed with finding a way to sail to the West Indies. Ever since Marco Polo chronicled his own overland travels to Asia and India in the early 1300s, Europe had sought a faster trade route to the land of spices and silk. Travel overland was long and arduous, obstructed by mountains and deserts and the hostile troops of the Ottoman Empire. Christopher Columbus believed that it would be faster and easier to sail straight west from Europe, circumnavigate the earth, and approach Asia from the east. Contrary to popular belief, no one thought the Earth was flat by 1492, including Columbus. But he was working off of two errors that made him confident in his mission. The first was that Columbus believed the circumference of the globe was about one quarter of what it actually is. The second was that Columbus didn't think there were any other big continental landmasses out there in between Asia and Europe. Most navigators agreed with him on the second point, though the first point was contentious. Everyone else thought that the Earth was big, about as big as it actually is, and that Columbus would be sailing across open ocean for months and months. But Columbus thought he could do it in no time at all. It was these two errors that made Columbus feel he could do it, that he could discover a new, faster, easier path to Asia. So he made the rounds to the European monarchs to see if anyone would sponsor his exploratory mission. Columbus's wife died in 1485, putting some of his plans on hold. He took his son Diego down to Spain and took up with a local woman who gave birth to Columbus's illegitimate second son, Fernando, in 1488. Now a father of two young boys, Columbus knew that he would have to find a way to care for them so he returned to a pair of monarchs who had already rejected him. Queen Isabella of Castile and King Ferdinand of Aragon were interested in Columbus's project. They wanted very much to find riches and to introduce Catholicism around the world. They were also in a dire competition with their neighbor Portugal to see who could dominate trade with Asia by establishing colonies. But they were mired in a war with the Muslim Grenadans and didn't have the money to spare to exploration. Columbus didn't care. He had finally gotten someone interested in his ideas and he wasn't going to let that go. He dreamed of the glory of becoming a famous explorer, perhaps even a governor of any colonies he might establish. It would be something he could pass on to his two sons, so he waited. Finally, in 1492, they defeated the Grenadans, which freed up enough money and resources to send Columbus on his journey. 
Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand outfitted Columbus with funding for his journey and his three now legendary ships, the Niña and Pinta and the Santa Maria. Columbus set off on his inaugural journey on August 3, 1492. He was 41 years old, and despite his erroneous beliefs about the Earth's circumference, he was a true master of navigation. Columbus kept a meticulous daily account of his journey in his Diario de Abordo, or Onboard Log. Not only did he record information on the goings-on aboard the ship, but he wrote down everything they did as far as navigation and wayfinding. Columbus had a mastery over these aspects of sailing and travel, and his account was the only record of how the three ships actually made their journey east. On October 12, 1492, the Pinta at last sighted land and the fleet set anchor off one of the island nations of Central America. The exact location of this first landing is unknown. Historians agree that he landed somewhere in the Bahamas, but the location is one of the many pieces of Columbus's original journey that's been completely lost to time with the loss of the Diario. Over the next several months, Columbus sailed around Central America to Cuba and Haiti, confusing each place he visited with an Asian destination. He still did not recognize that this was an entirely new, different continent. So sure was he that Europe, Asia, and Africa were the only landmasses that he could not understand the discrepancies in climate, plant life, and descriptions of the native peoples between the land he found and the land he was looking for. Columbus wrote descriptions of all of the people and plants and lands that he found, including some of native populations that no longer exist, native populations that died out not long after Columbus visited. And remember, he was the only person aboard those ships who wrote any of this down. Everything we know about those early days in the Americas is due entirely to him. In modern-day Haiti, Columbus found gold to bring back to Spain and set up a stockade guarded by 39 of his own men to guard his discovery until he could return. The Santa Maria accidentally ran aground on Christmas Day, 1492, so it was dismantled and used to build the fort called La Natividad. Columbus declared himself governor of the region. The journey back to Europe was plagued with misfortunes. A February storm drove the Niña off course, and Columbus, afraid he might never reach Spain again, wrote a letter to Isabella and Ferdinand detailing his discoveries and cast it into the sea in a barrel. Later, the crew was temporarily imprisoned by the Portuguese when they landed there instead of Spain. Martin Pinzon, Columbus's Spanish second-in-command and captain of the Pinta, arrived in Spain in early March, two weeks before Columbus. He tried to make an appointment with Isabella and Ferdinand to report what had been discovered on the journey east. But the monarchs who favored Columbus at the time would not see him until Columbus, too, had arrived. During the two weeks between Pinzon's arrival and Columbus's, Martin Pinzon died of an illness he'd contracted during the journey. Eventually, Columbus reached Spain and gave an overly ambitious report of his findings to Isabella and Ferdinand. 
He brought gold and spices and was accompanied by half a dozen captive Native Americans, his proof that he had indeed reached what he thought was Asia. A letter Columbus had written to the sovereigns about all his discoveries was published in papers throughout Spain, astounding the public. He also handed over his original log of the journey to Isabella. That's when history loses the trail of the diario. After the log passed into Isabella's hands, it was never seen again. Isabella commissioned two scribes to copy the log. The project was of utmost secrecy, and the diario was kept under lock and key to keep it out of the hands of Portuguese spies who might want its secrets for themselves. This Barcelona copy was returned to Columbus, so we might refer to his notes during future journeys. Ferdinand and Isabella were so pleased with Christopher Columbus's discoveries that they wasted no time furnishing him for a second journey. But as Columbus and his second fleet continued to explore the region, it became more and more clear that the people, flora, and fauna did not match the classical descriptions of Asia as Columbus had at first supposed. But he'd already told Isabella and Ferdinand otherwise. The rest of Columbus's life was mainly spent trying to prove, through a third and fourth journey west, that he had in fact sailed to Asia. But Ferdinand and Isabella became disenchanted and unconvinced. At one point, they revoked his governorship and sent him back to Spain in chains, angry that he had failed to bring back enough gold to make his voyages worth the investment. In 1506, Columbus died at age 54. No state officials came to his funeral, and the disgraced explorer's death didn't even make the local paper. Despite all this, his early voyages contributed immensely to the European discovery of the New World and helped give Spain an early stronghold in Central and South America. Unfortunately for historians, the greatest resource we could have had to look into the explorer's mind and follow his journeys had been lost. The Admiral's meticulous journal and all of the secrets within it are gone. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. And now, back to Gone. Christopher Columbus kept a meticulous and dedicated record of his momentous 1492 expedition to the New World in his Diario de Abordo, or ship's log. But even so, many things about that first journey are still a mystery, because that log has been missing for hundreds of years. We've lost his navigation records. We've lost the information about the first landing site in the Americas. We've lost records of the first native people, animals, and plants that Columbus first encountered. And that's just what we know we've lost. There could be so much more information in that log that we simply don't even know we're missing. All that remains are translations of an excerpt of a copy of that original journal. Let's now take a look at some of the theories of what might have happened to that log and all the information lost with it, and see if we can find it. Let's start off with what we know about what was in the log itself. The log was written between August 3, 1492, and March 15, 1493, encompassing the entirety of Columbus's first voyage to the New World and back, 
as well as a preamble he wrote for the benefit of his sponsors, the King and Queen of Spain. It contains daily accounts of tides, sea currents, wind conditions, navigation, and descriptions of ports visited, as well as botanic, ethnographic, and geographic observations of the places Columbus visited. Christopher Columbus was a master navigator, an expert in the field of dead reckoning, the art of finding one's location in the middle of the ocean by recording speeds, cardinal directions, and wind pressures on the ship. To that end, he kept scrupulous records of a number of factors affecting his ships. Since there was no map of the oceans at this time, these careful notes were invaluable to anyone hoping to replicate Columbus's journey. By following his observations of currents, wind patterns, and direction, others would be able to chart a very similar path to the New World. This is why Isabella was so careful to keep the copying of the original Diario under such wraps. Spain wanted to hold on to their tentative hold in the New World. If Portugal or Italy were to replicate Columbus's journey, they could set up their own settlements in Haiti and edge Spain out of the region. Columbus encountered dozens of civilizations and tribes as he set up his governorship. Regrettably, contact with Europeans and their myriad diseases would push several of these peoples, such as the Taino people of the Bahamas, to extinction before they could be more closely studied. Columbus's first blush observations of the indigenous peoples and their cultures are to this day invaluable sources to modern anthropologists. But we don't have the original document or the copy, which means that there could be plenty of information missing from our understanding of Columbus's journey. It's even possible that there's information that's been poorly interpreted or wholly fabricated. We will never know what we've been missing, until and unless we find that original log. But let's take a look at the information that we do have and where that information has come from. Because while there's plenty of information that's lost without that original log or the Barcelona copy, there's some information that has survived and been passed down. Columbus's illegitimate son, Fernando, wrote a biography of his father called Historio del Almirante Don Cristobal Colon, or The Life of the Admiral Christopher Columbus. In it, he summarized some of the passages from his father's Barcelona copy, though he rarely directly quoted it. Unfortunately, the original manuscript for Life of the Admiral is also missing. All we have left is a bad translation. The reason we have any quotes at all from Columbus's original log, including the entirety of his introduction, is because of a document created by Columbus's friend, Bartolome de las Casas. Las Casas was writing a history of the Americas and had access to the Barcelona copy to use as a source. But he wasn't allowed complete access to it. Las Casas had a limited amount of time with it and did his best to summarize what he felt he would need in order to create his history. He created an abstract from this with notes and quotes from the Barcelona copy that he later used to write his book. Think of it as a cheat sheet. It wasn't a word-for-word -word recreation of the Barcelona copy. It was just whatever he thought would be useful for his own work, sometimes quoted, often summarized. Las Casas transcribed his abstract of the Diario onto 76 folio pages, but he experienced some difficulties replicating the Barcelona copy. 
the margins of his transcript are littered with reminders that Castilian was not Columbus's native language, and therefore his word choice may not always be correct. Las Casas also mentions more than once that the handwriting of the Barcelona copy scribe is poor and hard to read. He abbreviated and crossed out words, edited phrases, and occasionally left blanks. Some words are unreadable, either through the ravages of time or by the writer's hasty hand. Some grammatical or spelling mistakes were made along the line, either by Las Casas, the Barcelona copy scribe, or Columbus himself. Las Casas' abstract is the closest thing we have to an original copy of Columbus's Diario, and even it is woefully incomplete and littered with inaccuracies. It was missing for hundreds of years, briefly found and copied, and then went missing again in the early 20th century. Neither the original Diario nor the Barcelona copy have been seen for hundreds of years, but there have been a few false alarms throughout history when forgeries have appeared and masqueraded as parts of the lost log for a time. Since few people had ever seen the original log, it was not difficult for forgers to draft a convincing document and either sell it off as a valuable piece of history or try to use it to change the Columbus narrative for some political gain. In fact, forgery of important documents was a common transgression in Columbus's time. The most famous of these forgeries concerns not the main text of the Diario itself, but the letter Columbus wrote to Isabella and Ferdinand on his journey and sent immediately upon his return to Spain. It summarized some of the things he'd found on his voyage and declared Spanish ownership of the discovered lands. Copies of the letter were disseminated throughout Spain to spread word of the admiral's accomplishment, but very few remain. One such letter was supposedly housed at the Ricardiana Library in Florence for many years, but an inspection of the document in 2012 revealed that the copy on display was in fact a forgery. The real letter was found at the U.S. Library of Congress, where it had been donated by a well-meaning collector who did not know the document he'd purchased was stolen. After this upset, the copy kept by the Vatican Library in Rome was examined and also found to be a fake, albeit an older forgery than the Florence copy. With all of these fakes out of the way, let's go through what we know about what happened to the original Diario, the Barcelona copy, Fernando's Life of the Admiral, and Las Casas's abstract, as well as what we think could have happened to them. As we stated earlier, the original log was given by Columbus to Queen Isabella. That's where the story ends. We don't know what happened to it after that, as it hasn't been seen since Queen Isabella died in 1504. It is possible that the log remains in the custody of the Spanish nobility passed down to Isabella and Ferdinand's relatives. But if this were the case, it would be odd that whomever possesses a log has not come forward and allowed it to be studied by the wider historical community. In this day and age, so far removed from the territorial disputes of European countries in the New World, it is unlikely that the Spanish government would have any reason to conceal the diario anymore. Another possibility is that the log was stolen from Isabella or from one of her descendants, either during the transcription process or after the queen's death. 
It was an extremely long and arduous process to copy documents by hand in the 1500s, as evidenced by the fact that only one official Barcelona copy of the Diario was ever made. Although the Gutenberg Press had been around for over a hundred years by the mid-1500s, it was mostly employed to set down text which required many, many copies made. Because the contents of the Diario were extremely secret and only one copy was being made, it was more prudent for the document to be transcribed by hand for the Barcelona copy. When Columbus first returned from his initial expedition to the New World, he was a rock star in Spain. A personal journal of the popular admiral would have been an extremely valuable prize. Any archivist or transcriber who was able to steal the original diario at the height of Columbus's fame could have made a small fortune from its sale. Even if Isabella kept hold of the log until her own death, the diario would still have been very valuable to the right buyers. Anyone else with an interest in navigating or colonizing the New World would have considered the Diario an invaluable resource. It was as close to an accurate sailing guide to Central America as existed at the time. It can also be hypothesized that if Isabella did not pass the log down to her descendants and it wasn't stolen, it could still exist somewhere. Perhaps the extremely devout Isabella, whose main goal in sending Columbus west and in colonizing the Americas was to spread Catholicism, might have bequeathed the Diario to a monastic library or even the Vatican itself. If the law did find its way into the Vatican archives, it might very well still be there today. The Vatican secret archives are only open to a limited number of qualified researchers each year, and then only on a limited basis. There are many documents which outside historians are not allowed to see, so it is possible that the original Diario might number among the tomes in the Vatican's secret archives, just waiting until the day it is unveiled to the public eye. The original Spanish manuscript of Fernando's biography of his father, Christopher Columbus, entitled Life of the Admiral, has been lost as well. Fernando didn't have any children, so when he died in 1539, his nephew, Luis, inherited his books and papers. Luis is known to have sold the original copy of Life of the Admiral to an Italian physician who decided to have it translated and printed in 1571. By all accounts, it's not a good translation of the work. It contains some obvious errors as well as plenty of contradictions to Las Casas's work. But after it was published, the original manuscript went missing, much like the original diario before it. It's still missing to this day. All that survives is that very bad Italian translation. The Barcelona copy has a longer story. In 1513, the Spanish crown brought a case to court in order to challenge the legacy of the now wildly unpopular Christopher Columbus. They wanted to prove that Martin Pinzon, not Columbus, had made the discovery of the New World a success. The Spanish government preferred to credit one of their own rather than an out-of-favor foreigner. Witnesses for the Spanish crown testified that Columbus's trip would never have succeeded without Martin Pinzon, who used his local connections to find a crew for the first voyage when Spanish sailors were wary of an Italian admiral like Columbus. 
They also said that it was Pinzon, not Columbus, who prevented the Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria from turning back when the crews grew weary of travel and frightened of getting lost. Diego Columbus sued the crown to preserve his father's legacy and restore the title of viceroy, which had been stripped from Columbus before his death. If the Columbus family won the lawsuit, they would inherit all the revenues from the viceroy's land holdings in America something the Spanish royalty very much wanted to prevent. Diego Columbus died in 1526, leaving both the lawsuit and the diario to his own son, Luis, who was still a minor. While he was still underage, the library of Columbus's papers was guarded over by either Luis's mother, Maria Alvarez de Toledo, or by his uncle, Fernando. Of the two, it's reasonable to assume that it was Fernando who kept the papers, as he was the family historian and owned a library of over 15,000 manuscripts, one of the best private libraries in Europe at the time. Perhaps this was when Fernando wrote his Life of the Admiral, since he now had access to his father's account. It is very likely that the Barcelona copy of the Diario remained a part of Fernando's extensive library up until his own death in 1539. After Fernando's death, his library was sealed for five years while the fallout from the Columbus family court case against the Spanish crown dragged on. Luis, who had taken over the family court case against the Spanish monarchs, had given up the fight for the viceroy's holdings and title back in 1536, settling for a lesser sum and title instead. But there was still some debate over what properties and materials the Columbus family would retain and which would revert to the monarchy. In 1544, when the library was released, Luis's mother, Maria Alvarez de Toledo, donated most of the contents to a monastery in Seville for safekeeping. Her son Luis was still underage and showed no inclination towards family history unless it could make him a prophet. It's unclear whether the Barcelona copy was among those items donated to the monastery. If the diario went to the monastery along with the rest of Fernando's library, it probably would have suffered under that monastery's later poor handling and been lost to history that way. Many other books in the library at the Seville Monastery were sold off or disappeared over the ages. But it is reasonable that Maria would have held on to that book as such an important part of her family's history. In 1549, Maria too died, leaving Christopher's grandson, Luis Columbus, as the sole inheritor to his remaining papers. As we've mentioned, Luis, unlike his father and uncle before him, had no interest in preserving the family legacy or transcribing its history. Instead, he was by all accounts a ne'er-do-well, who had no regard for the Columbus relics he'd inherited. Luis was a drinker and a gambler, and was once arrested for being married to three women at once. He notoriously managed not only to escape, but also to marry a fourth wife while in prison by bribing his guards for day passes out of jail. The famous Columbus scholar Henry Vineau called Luis devoid of morality. It was in his hands that most of the materials which would have been so helpful to future historians were lost. Luis was constantly in need of money to support his habits. The Barcelona copy of the Diario may have been a victim of Luis's vices. Historians can't be sure, but they suspect Luis sold the log off to the highest bidder. 
This supposition is supported by the fact that Luis is known to have sold the original copy of Fernando's Life of the Admiral in 1571. And since Luis was authorized to publish the Barcelona copy in 1554, but never did so, historians reason that he must have sold it instead. As such, it's possible that Luis pawned the Barcelona copy to some European noble to add to his private collection, where it either still languishes or where it was eventually destroyed or lost. Which still leaves us with one copy left, the Las Casas abstract. Let's see if we can find it. We'll return to our story in just a moment. Now our story continues. The Las Casas abstract of Christopher Columbus's log of his first journey to the Americas is perhaps the happiest story about the original manuscripts. Bartolomé de Las Casas gave his three-volume manuscript for the Historia to the College of San Gregorio in 1561. He asked that it not be published for at least 40 years. In 1565, the year before he died, Las Casas willed his library to the same college. It's possible that this was where the abstract sat for a number of years after Las Casas' death in 1566, but that's not known for certain. What we do know is that that's not where it was found next. More than 200 years later, in 1789, the Spanish crown asked sailor and historian Martín Fernández de Navarrete to go through their extensive archival literature with a focus on Spanish maritime history. By 1791, Navarrete found something incredible and unexpected in the library of the Duke del Infantado, Las Casas' abstract of Columbus's log. Remember, it had been centuries since anyone had seen the Diario or the Barcelona copy. This was a huge find. Navarrete began editing the work, which was a monumental task in and of itself. You see, part of the problem with Las Casas' abstract, if you'll recall, is that his work was a third-hand account. He was fighting against the unskilled work of the copyist who created the Barcelona copy, as well as Columbus's poor Spanish that had been present in the original. This led to Las Casas, or perhaps the copyist before him, making some errors that cost us a deeper understanding of the actual distances Columbus traveled, or the measurements he took. For example, the abstract contains around 350 distance measurements in variable units. Some are written in miles, most in leagues, and a few in both miles and leagues. Maddeningly, Las Casas occasionally wrote down one unit, crossed it out, and swapped it for the other. Additionally, because he was on a journey of discovery and not headed for any specific port on his first journey, Columbus did not bother recording details of the current or leeway of the ocean in his log. Without those two factors, it would be impossible to retrace his path as recorded in the Diario and arrive at any landmass in the Americas. When modern navigators add in these factors to account for a ship's natural drift under the influence of the ocean's movement, they most often arrive at Samana Key. This island in the Bahamas is widely thought to be the site of Columbus's first landing. However, without more information from the Lost Journal, descriptions of the landing site, for example, this can be nothing more than an educated guess. We don't know, and we'll never know, the exact currents and winds of that first journey, 
so we can only guess how they might have altered Columbus's course. There were also some issues with translating the Spanish Columbus used into Spanish that was used in Navarrete's time. Translations from medieval Spanish to modern languages are rare, often incorrect, and vary in their interpretations of different passages. Sometimes researchers doing the same math can get different results simply because they are working from different translations of the diario. For example, geographical words like islet or cape are often confused between editions. Sun up and sunset are occasionally switched. One translator moved a period down two words in a sentence, making it appear as though a cape were 45 nautical miles farther away than normal. Other things, such as agricultural landmarks, are described vaguely and could refer to many different islands in the area. Historian Paul Aaron points to one phrase in particular as an example of this ambiguity, quote, una laguna en medio muy grande, end quote, could refer either to a lake in the middle of an island or to a lagoon in a shoreline. But still, Navarrete persisted, and in 1825, he published his version of Las Casas' abstract of the Barcelona copy of Columbus's Diario. Even though it was three times removed from the original source, this publication was the first time most of the Western world had gotten so close to Columbus's actual words. The interest generated was enough to push for a publication of Las Casas's three-volume Historia in 1875, only 274 years late. In 1886, the Spanish government purchased the original abstract from the Duke of Orsuna, and they put it on display in the Biblioteca Nacional de España. That's where it lived until 1925, when the library reported that Las Casas' original abstract was missing. But at least it had gotten to be viewed and copied and translated plenty of times before it went missing. So that brings us to four missing documents and four different accounts of the same story. Here's where we think they all are. For the Las Casas original, the most likely answer is that it got lost in the Spanish library sometime before 1920. The library would have announced if it had been stolen, so there could be a search for it. So it makes the most sense for it to be floating around the library's archives, filed incorrectly. Moving right along to Fernando's original Life of the Admiral, it makes the most sense that it'd still be in some private collector's clutches and we're sure that that's probably where the Barcelona copy is, too, a private collection. Maria Alvarez held on to Fernando Columbus's original manuscript of the life of the admiral for his son Luis to inherit, rather than donating it to the monastery with the other papers. Why wouldn't she do the same for the Barcelona copy? Then Luis sold the copy, just like he sold the life of the admiral to pay off his debts, and it's still floating around between private collections. Which brings us to the original diario, handed from Columbus to Queen Isabella as soon as he made it back to the shores of Spain. It's at the Vatican. If the Spanish government still had it, I see no reason why they wouldn't put it forth and celebrate it as part of their cultural heritage. Except that the monarchy tried to discredit Columbus during his life in favor of a Spaniard. Well, that's true. But that's practically ancient history at this point. They'd come forward with it if they had it, which means that the Vatican, 
a place we already know has a secret library with restricted access and no full list of the books it contains, is the safest bet for the location of the original Diario. Columbus's first journey remains one of the most important moments in history, bringing together the old world and the new. But so much of it is still a mystery. Let us hope that one day the original Diario will be found and provide us all the answers to historians' questions. Until that day, the original log of Christopher Columbus, as well as the three most famous copies, are all gone. Thanks for tuning in to Gone. If you like the show, you can subscribe for more episodes on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast directory. While you're there, we'd really appreciate a five-star review. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. You can tell us your theories on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, on Twitter at Parcast Network, or at Parcast.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Just because it's gone doesn't mean it can't be found. Gone was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is a part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Gone is written by Colleen Bradley and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner.